0: Hey everyone, I'm Chris Hall and you're listening to the Downtime Podcast, where we delve deep into the Gravity based side of mountain biking. First up, I want to thank our supporting partners and that's Sprung Suspension and SRAM. After a summer of smashing the trails, it's time to give your suspension some love and Sprung Suspension have a great offer for you. When I wanted my bike running at its best for the Tweed Valley EWS, I took my fork and shot to sprung suspension. Sprung was an obvious choice for me as they're run by Jake Ireland, who has years of experience on the World Cup circuit and is currently the team race engineer at MS Mondraker sprung is a suspension service and tuning center based in the forest of dean here in the uk but working worldwide they aren't a service factory that smash out forks and shocks all day long they take their time with each customer to understand the rider their bike and their current settings so that they can return your forks and shock with the optimum settings any necessary internal tuning and ensure that you're on the best possible setup whether you're a world cup dh racer or a weekend rider the team have experience of working with suspension companies, bike companies, and World Cup race teams, so you can be sure you're in safe hands. My bike felt incredible after they'd given the suspension some love. Sprung are super flexible, so you can send your suspension there, or if you're nearby, you can do pickups and drop-offs. They're going to do their best to make it work for you. As a downtime listener, Sprung are giving you 10% off service and tuning until the 15th of November. All you need to do is to use the code DOWNTIME22 over at sprungsuspension.com. That's sprung, suspension, all one word, .com. While you're here, don't forget to subscribe or follow the podcast so you never miss an episode. There's buttons to help you get that done over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe. Merch is available if you want to support the show. That's over at downtimepodcast.com forward slash shop. You can head over to DowntimePodcast.com forward slash EP to check out our beautiful print project, Downtime EP, that's made in collaboration with the incredible team over at Misspent Summers. It's a biannual piece of mountain bike history that takes the guests and topics of the podcast, expands on them and brings them into a printed format featuring words and imagery from Mountain Biking's most talented creators. You can get single copies of the back issues or you can save yourself some money by treating yourself to an annual subscription over at DowntimePodcast.com forward slash EP. All the links you need for all of this stuff are in the show notes for this episode over on downtimepodcast.com. You can also get in touch and give us a follow on Instagram and Facebook by heading to at This episode is also supported by SRAM and today I'm joined by SRAM's VP of Product Development, Sandra Rigney, to take us behind the scenes at RockShox. We'll be chatting about Rockshock's history and finding out how the products have progressed over the last 25 years. Hear about their approach to R&D and the development of cutting-edge technologies like Flight Attendant. Sander shares some insights into their Black Box program, the future of suspension, and plenty more. So, without further ado, here's Sander Rigney. Sander Rigney, welcome to the Downtime Podcast, man. How's it going? It's going very well. How are you? Yeah, I'm very good, thank you. Well, before we get stuck into this conversation, just give me some context of your current role. What is your job title at, at SRAM at the moment, and what does that involve?
1: Yeah, so I'm vice president of product for suspension, wheels, uh, pedals, and accessories uh, for, for SRAM. Um, you know, I guess at a, at a high level, you know, I, I work with the, the broad range of, of development teams to, um, you know, I guess best way to describe it would be kind of business unit manager for, for any of those with really, you know, focus on product product development, but then working with our, our, our global teams on, on bringing all of these to market.
0: Fair play. That's not a, not a small role, huh? A lot of work.
1: I mean, I think every role is a lot of work, right? If you're, if you're doing it right. Um, but we've got, we've got awesome teams that, that support all of that. So.
0: Awesome. Good stuff, man. Well, let's, uh, let's take the clock right back to the, the early days of this thing and tell us a little bit initially about how, how you found your way into, to, to mountain biking and into cycling in general.
1: Yeah. So, so from, from a cycling standpoint, I was, you know, grew up in a family that, 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 that loved bikes. So, so bikes were part of my life from a, from a very early age. Um, I had an older brother that, that, that raced bikes. My dad rides bikes, He still rides bikes today. Uh, I had an uncle that owned a bike shop and, and so it was kind of a pretty, you know, natural, seamless, like that was just what I, what I did from, from, from really early on. Um, you know, I, I, at the same time, you know, my my parents were really good about about supporting, encouraging education, and so so they always you know helped on the uh, they allowed me to race. You know, that was always kind of part of our weekends and everything, but always kind of with the, the 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 view that hey, we'll support your racing side of things as long as you stay focused on your education and school. And so that was that was that was great. It allowed me to, to, to you know travel a bunch, do a, do a bunch of fun racing when I was when I was younger. Um, you know, eventually. Got through college and everything. Tried to focus on racing a bit. Realized that that was never going to play out as a you know a, 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 an actual career, and decided all right. Well, it's it's time for me to get a real job. And for a uh, brief time period, I worked for a uh, an investment company, um, and just absolutely hated it. <laughs> and uh, I uh, pretty quickly realized that I wasn't ready for that, and I was you know trying to figure out um what I was gonna do next, right? And, you know, debating of whether I'm going going back to school or 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 what. And um an, an opportunity presented itself um at Rock Shocks. And so, you know, part of the color there, I I did have a chance in like the summer of ninety three, um, to have a summer job working at Rock Shocks in like the shipping and receiving department. So oh, just awesome. you know pat. Packing boxes, driving the forklift, um, all of that type of stuff, and so I had some had some uh, connections that were still there, and and there was a, a customer service role that was was open, um, and I said, well, at least I'll I'll do this until I figure out what I'm what I'm really gonna do, and and I don't know why I never really thought about. You, you could have a career in the bike world outside of racing, but I, I guess I was just kind of always like narrow focus on just that aspect of it. And even for a while, you know, kind of early in, 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 in my time at Rockshox, I was still thinking that I was going to have to get a different job at some point. Um, but you know, all sorts of, you know, crazy great events have just occurred over that time period, um, of, of, of different opportunities. And, um, and it's, yeah, it's been a, it's been an awesome ride. And so, you know, through that time I've had the, you know, the, the opportunity to do a bunch of different things, um, you know, starting in, in, in customer service, you know, basically answering the phone, you know, helping people with their, 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 their questions and placing orders for, for retailers. And then, uh, I moved, um, over into working with our international distributors. Um, I would got to travel a bunch doing, you know, technical training on new products. And I was kind of the point person for any technical questions that they might have on, on products. Um, through that moved over into the, uh, the technical communication side of things. So writing our user manuals, doing spare parts, catalog, um, uh, all of that, um, which is super fun. Got, you know, got to learn kind of a, you know, different technology. And, um, and then I, I moved into the sales world for a bit managing aftermarket sales. Um, and then from there into, into product management. And then that's kind of continued on for, for, for me and product management. And then what we, we call category management. Um, and then into the, 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 the role as a, as a vice president today.
0: Amazing. Yeah, incredible career. What year was it then that you joined Rockshocks full time?
1: So that was ninety-eight. Okay. So um approaching twenty five years.
0: Good effort, man. Yeah. What kind of scale was Rockshocks at then? Like give us a feel for what the where the company was at.
1: <laughs> okay. So that's a fun one. Um so you know, that was we'll, we'll call you. Remember, you know, mid late nineties, right? That was the first big mountain bike boom. Yeah. And Rockshox, you know, was definitely one of those leading brands, and at that time we were publicly traded. Yeah, and uh, I I think I joined, you know, more or less at the peak, and and I can remember kind of the first, you know, every every couple months, every quarter, right? We would we would pull together, and there would be the, you know, the big presentation on the state of the state from the 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 the, the president and all the the executive team. And I remember that very first meeting, you know, it was like, hey, you know, things are great. We're at this point, you know, but we really got to control our spending and, and, uh, but, you know, you know, let's go get a team. And then, you know, the next meeting, well, you know, our our sales are down or our costs are really starting to creep up and, you know, we really need to control our spending, (laughs) To the point of, you know, kind of the last one was, you know, we are hemorrhaging money. We need to do something to, to, to change this. And that was, uh, you know, right about that time. So at, at, that, at that point, RockShox was in California. Yeah. And um, at that point, you know, we made the decision to do some, some, some pretty drastic changes, um, which included, you know, moving the, the, the company to uh, Colorado. Um, and, uh, and so, you know, kind of in that we went through a, a pretty big restructuring, um, laid off a number of people, um, but ended up transitioning, you know, the, the, entire organization, um, you know, manufacturing and everything to, to Colorado Springs, um, which is, you know, basically where I'm based today and where wow. SRAM now has a, has a pretty big development center based out of, out of Colorado Springs kind of coming from that, that, that history of shocks.
0: Incredible. Yeah. Big move. And, back in those early days, there were some big names involved as there is now, but one of the names that stood out to me was Greg Herbold was pretty heavily involved in development back then. Did you get the opportunity to work with Greg?
1: Absolutely. Yeah. Yeah. Um, and, uh, um, you know, I, I I mean, I, I, got to work a lot with him, um, still have a, have a, have a good relationship with him, talk to him every once in a while. Um, so HB, if you're listening, I miss you. Um, uh, You know, and and he, you know, he's, he's great on so many different levels, um, you know, from, you know, feedback into the development teams, um, being able to really engage with riders and our, and our customers at all different levels. Um, He taught me a a, a ton about that. And, um, you know, we would, we work, you know, quite close um, over, over a long period of, of, of that, of that time.
0: What makes a, a good development rider? What, what, what kind of, yeah, what yeah. creates a relationship that works well between a brand and a rider? Cause it's different to being just a good racer, right?
1: For sure. For sure. And, you know, part of it is, um, you know, somebody that can really describe what's happening. And it's, and it's really easy, you know, somebody that's worked in a technical world, right? Like, and if you've, if you've lived your life in suspension and, you know, you can't help, but when you hit a bump, you're thinking about like what's happening inside, right? And like, oh, oil's flowing through this and this is happening with the shims and the ports and all that kind of stuff, Um, which helps to a certain extent, but at the same time, you know, you, you need somebody that can really describe like, what are they feeling? What's happening, right? And is it, are they picking up harshness at their hands? Are they, you know, experiencing on certain types of terrain, like it's doing this in a G out or whatever it might be, you know, so that our team, right, can really like understanding what the, 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 the performance characteristic is, then really kind of the do the deep dive on, well, why is that occurring and not immediately jumping to like, oh, it feels harsh. It has too much compression. Well, maybe, right. But, but where's your spring rate? And is it harsh over these types of, of, of bumps, right? Maybe it's not a compression thing. Maybe it's a rebound thing. And, and so just, you know, there's, 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 you know, the best riders can really kind of help describe what they're feeling in a way that our team can kind of then know like, okay, I'm going to start targeting these three things. You know, we'll do a design of experiments and try to isolate any one of them. But, and that's, a, it's a, it's a, it's a really, it's a really tough one. And, and, and particularly I've been working with, with, with HP for so long, we all got to understand, um, you know, he had certain, buzzwords or things and so we knew what they meant um uh-huh. but you know a lot of other riders you know they'll 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 say like ah it's got mid-stroke harshness well what the heck does that mean right like you, you know you, you have to kind of develop that relationship over time to really start to understand like what are they feeling so that we can we can target our development efforts
0: interesting so where in the rock shock story does SRAM get involved Then in? was that in that kind of
1: <laughs> so end that t- of
0: that big boom yeah. yeah,
1: it was, it was, uh, and I, I should know this and we were just talking about this the other day. I believe it was 2002, Okay, um, 2002, 2003, so that, that time period. And so, you know, basically in the summer of 2000 was when Rock Shacks moved from Colorado or sorry, from California to Colorado Springs. You know, the the hope was that, you know, we would be reducing our our cost structure. And and while we did that, um, you know, the realities of the industry was declining and, you know, a number of other factors going on at that at that time. You know, admittedly we were having some quality challenges in some different areas. And so, um, you know, so we we, we weren't seeing the financial improvement that we we needed we were delisted on the 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 stock market side of things and and then you know ultimately you know we were kind of right on that that scary edge and um and and then SRAM came in and acquired us
0: ah okay so that was a significant thing then at the time right that was a a bit of a bit of a lifesaver
1: yes yes um and, and and i mean for 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 rock shocks as a as a brand and a company ab- absolutely and you know and it, he couldn't have asked for a a better group of of, of people to kind of come into that and um, you know that was a pretty significant acquisition for for sram at that time and you know from from day one the support of uh, the, the the leadership was just just incredible um, you know recognizing where you know they could help. Um, but then also recognizing where, you know, there was, um, call it, you know, expertise or knowledge within the organization that, you know, we really just needed to, 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 to focus and preserve. So, yeah. um, that, that was, you know, it was a, it was a you know, huge turning point for us. Um, and a lot of, a lot of things happened, right. As, as part of that, um, we moved our, our, our production from Colorado to, um, Taiwan, Allowed us to be, you know, when we've got, you know, such a large percentage of our business is dedicated towards OEM business, you know, being where the bike brands are assembling their bikes is pretty critical, and so that was a, that was a big move for us. But then also, you know, I think unlocking just a, a access to a, a, a wider range of viewpoints that SRAM had had a much better developed infrastructure in Europe. Mm-hmm. um, that we were able to, to, to capitalize on. Um, and, uh, you know, since then it's been, uh, it's been, it's been, uh, good, good consistent growth over that time.
0: Definitely. And some serious progression in, in technology as well for, yeah. for people that maybe weren't riding back in 2000 either, cause they're quite young or they've not been in the sport that long. Give <laughs> us, uh, like a bit of a view of what state of the art was in say circa well, 2000, like what would a good fork or shock look like?
1: So, I mean, I'll say this, and this will, for, for maybe newer riders, this will, this will you know, their milk is going to spit out their nose when they hear this. <laughs> I can remember it being said, uh, we were working on the Judy 100, which was a hundred millimeter travel single crown fork. And I remember it being said at the time that like, we'll never be able to do a hundred millimeter travel single crown <laughs> fork. And so, uh, a lot has changed in that, in that time. Um, and so, you know, yeah, I mean, at that, at that time, right. You know, uh, 2000, right. Disc brakes were kind of just starting to come to be on, on anything other than a downhill application. Um, you know, large percentage of bikes were still hardtails. Um, uh, Wow, you know, limit <laughs> limited overall product platform, you know, just a, a couple of fork models. Um, so, yeah, much, much different, right? And that was I think that was sort of the beginning of things that that, you know, kind of point to where we are today. Well, maybe, you know, much of the industry at that time from a commercial standpoint was really still driven off of cross-country racing. Uh-huh. And I think 2000, that time period, was where I think more of of the market started to recognize that, like, yeah, cross-country racing is cool, it's a thing, but there's people that don't always care about, you know, the lightest product as the only reason why they're going to buy something, and so you start to see, you know, some of the features that we started to introduce at that time, like travel adjustments or through axles, and the adop- more adoption of disc brakes and things like that, starting to come into it as we moved away from everything being determined by XC racing and really looking at the broad way that that that, that riders want to ride their mountain bikes.
0: Yeah, for sure, and we were still relying a lot on kind of elastomer based technology there wasn't a huge amount of adjustment of a lot of the products maybe a bit of preload here and there and but compared to what we have today some some huge changes have gone on right
1: yeah oh for sure for sure yeah and i mean we were starting to do more air spring products but that was still you know small part of what we were what we were doing we had we had moved on from elastomers at that point but but um but yeah i mean the 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 rate of technology change since then has just been unbelievable.
0: Yeah. Tell us about some of those kind of key enablers then from a technology point of view. What do you see as some of the big (laughs) things that have come along or that have developed that have enabled us to get from pretty basic limited travel forks with very little adjustment to these incredible things that we have today?
1: Yeah, uh, man, this is this is a good one, and then it, it probably, you know, potentially contentious depending upon what angle you come from. Because I I recognize on kind of the on the the user side of things, right? Um, you know, one of the hot button issues is always around standards, right? And is uh-huh. and is the bike industry forcing the standard down my throat? to make me buy a new bike or any of that. And so, so I, I recognize that, 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 that's, that's out there. But, you know, my, 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 my joke, my comment about the, you know, single crown fork will never be over a hundred, hundred millimeters. Yeah. That's kind of true when you looked at how we were kind of defining products at that time. And that mm-hmm. was, you know um, you know, by that point, the industry had moved, you know, primarily to one and an eighth, for for steer tube diameters right but but one inch wasn't completely gone and and so uh you know what what the the tapered standard had not been proposed yet the 1.5 standard had not been proposed yet right um through axles for anything except for downhill racing um wasn't wasn't a thing Um, you know, the large portion of, while while disc brakes were starting to creep in the large portion of bikes being sold, were sold, were still V brakes. Uh And so, so, you know, with each one of those kind of standards changes, right? Like it starts to unlock more of, of what you can do. And, and, you know, for sure, I will recognize that over time, the industry hasn't always gotten all of those right. Um, but, I would say, you know, f- for one in my almost 25 years, I've never heard any discussion around a standard where it's even been mentioned that being done to make people buy more m- buy a new product, right? It's uh-huh. always being done with a view that like our job is to make the best bikes we can and, you know, the the industry is filled with 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 passionate riders and while we might not always get it exactly right everyone has been done you know kind of with the right intent that it's always about how do we unlock more performance um and so some of those things right like when we when we started you know going to oversized steers you know first first uh 1.5, 1.5, but then you know, evolving into the, the the tapered standard. Right now, you're able to start designing longer travel products. Um, you're able to better optimize some of the the weight characteristics, stiffness characteristics. Um, you know, you start moving to through axles. Right, same thing. Right, you start to you start to unlock more of the capability there, um, and so it just you know, it allows you to, to 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 start to kind of do more of what we how we see riders using their bikes. Uh And if, and if you think about it, just like, you know, putting that, that, that fork that would have been state of the art at that time, you know, next to, uh, current day. Right. And it's just such a remarkable difference, but, but it's kind of unlocked because we've been, been, been open to changing some of the things that, you know, would have otherwise been assumed, you know, unchangeable.
0: Yeah. And that makes sense. What about the the damper technology side of things. Cause that's something to me that I've really felt a huge progression on probably in the last 10 years or so, like the quality of damping on suspension product these, these days is so much better than it was 10 years ago. What's, yeah. what's happened there to help that?
1: Um. So at the risk of dispelling some things, I, so, so absolutely forks, and shocks, bikes in general, feel so much better, right? Like there's just so many things that have been improved about it. But I, I'd say, you know, I wouldn't point to any one thing on the fork side of things. It, it's really kind of all of it, that, that, that the things that we have learned, um, and again, right, like going back in time, um, in in the Rock world, in – Let's see. Model year 2000, we introduced our Silo fork, which was kind of our 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 first big kind of all mountain fork at that time, with these massive 30 millimeter diameter upper tubes, and and um, you know, so you think about where we are today, right? And and you know, Nino just won the world championships on a 35 millimeter chassis fork that you know, having a, a a a chassis right that is that is that is, is is stiffer, it's gonna ride more predictable, you're not gonna have as much binding in the lower legs, it's gonna allow the damper, the spring system to work much more effectively, that it's it's really kind of the sum of the parts that 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 really allows for all of that that, that, that change over time that, you know, that, the, 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 the damping technology for sure it's improved, right? Like we learn, we learn so much just in any, in any given year. Um, but it's not just that, right. It's, it's, it's that learning is occurring on every little piece, you know, and, and yeah, could go on for, 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 for years with, with all of that, that learning that's occurred.
0: Yeah. Okay. So it's more of a combination of all of the different things coming together that leads to us having that better product rather than like one game changing thing here and there. Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. Well, okay. Maybe that's something that we could say is game changing. Let's talk a bit about flight attendant because that feels like it is a, a big step in a direction that a lot of people have talked about. People have kind of tinkered with a bit. We've seen a few things over the years, but they've never quite hit. But in general, like across the board, the feedback on flight attendant has been super positive. I've spoken to quite a lot of journalists who get on really, really well with it. And we're almost surprised by how good it is. Talk us through that system a little bit, because that's a that's a big change, right? For any any company in the kind of traditional, I guess, suspension world.
1: Yeah. Um, uh, yeah. So 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 f- for sure. Huge investment. Um and and really kind of <laughs> funny how how uh, a lot of the conversations always always come together. But you know you can you can kind of go 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 back. Well, maybe I'll I'll, I'll talk a little bit just yeah you know, generally about how we how we do product development, and because uh-huh. and I, I think there's a lot of different different views, and you know and and I think uh, you know one of the things that that. You know, we talked about it. We're talking about good development riders and all that, but is really trying to look at, you know, what are, what are the needs of the, the rider base out there? And, you know, one of the things that, that we recognize, um, you know, on a, on a bicycle, you know, there's, there's a lot of different variables that go into it, right? You're trying to maximize efficiency at times because, you know, even the best rider compared to a motorcycle isn't putting out that much power. Um, so you're trying to optimize that efficiency. You got to control for 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 rider's body movement, um, you know. And so we're kind of ending up with 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 you know a lot of riders doing remote controls and things like that on on the handlebars, and 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 you kind of look at that and go, well, man, that's that's a lot of stuff that's up on the bars. That's not the most pleasing from a from a visual standpoint. And that's a lot of stuff that the rider has to manage, right? And and um, you know, one of the, the, the things that we talk about, and I think this has kind of come from the world of F one, but is the dis, you know as a rider decisions per second, right? Mm-hmm. And when you're riding, there's a lot of decisions per second that you're making, and when you can strip some of them away, that's a pretty good. That's making for a pretty good user experience. And so if we can kind of take away, like, hey, you know, what rider doesn't have to worry about that and can just hop on the bike and and ride, that'd be a really good thing, right? And and so then you start talking about well, what are the ways that we can do that? And, you know, and, and, and looking at sort of technology capability and all that, you know, we, we kind of started playing around in a, in an advanced development world with that really, and just understanding like, like where's the technology at on this, um, you know, from a, um, you know, just in full transparency, right. As we started going down that, you know, we wanted to be wireless from the very beginning uh-huh. because if we're stripping away that you know, the, the, the spaghetti nest that occurs up at the handlebars, well, we don't want to just replace that with a bunch of wires hanging out there. And so, um, and so, you know, is 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 from a technology standpoint, right, is is wireless communication at a point where we can do that. Right. And so you start looking at at all of that and, and kind of building different proof of concepts to really just understand, like, hey, is this even possible what we're what we're what we're dreaming up? And so, you know, some of the very first prototypes that we did were based on, you know, our our, our motion control damping technology, which is, you know, I don't know coming up on 20 years old now but that was the easy way for us to kind of prototype it and just prove it out right like can this even be done um to then learn from and kind of start building and take you know take the next step with it and so you know over that over that time period it was a you know a lot of progression um you know alongside all the all the things that were happening you know non electronically with, with, with our products, right? On the damping side of things and all of that before they kind of ultimately came together in what we, what we launched as the flight attendant system. Yeah. Um, you know, of course it 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 helped us, you know, within the the rock shack side of things of you know SRAM as an organization and our and our investment in the world of 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 electronic and connected components, you know, more broadly than just what's happening in suspension, right? But our our investments in the world of 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 of, of drivetrain and 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 beyond um, have have been what's what's allowed us to kind of ultimately create that offering.
0: Yeah. And a huge development project, right? How, how many years worth of work was it to get that to a point where you were happy with it?
1: Yeah. I mean, I I think, well, we've said seven years, you know, from, from when we really kind of first started like, Hey, let's try it. Let's, let's see if we can do this. Let's create this prototype. Um, you know, that was, we'll call it seven, eight years ago. Um, and then from there, you know, it was kind of always going on in the in the background. Um, you know, just 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 trying to progress the technology to get to where we are today.
0: Yeah. What were some of the kind of bigger hurdles to try and get over with that? Because I'm guessing there was a few unique challenges with it.
1: Yeah, and 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 in and in full transparency, I'm not going to tell you what the biggest ones are because I don't want to make it easier for anybody else out there to to, to uh-huh. do it. Um, but I mean they're there are just some some things, you know. Um, something as simple as like the, the the battery, right? Like and and like people don't think about batteries in their in their lives today, but but you know, in the world we live in today, there's a lot of compliance around batteries, right? And and so, you know, for SRAM as an organization, right, like we've had to develop the capability internally to ensure that we can we can sell and ship safe batteries around the world and so um, there's so many of those that you you have to develop along the way you know we don't we don't talk about it as much now, but if you think about when we when we launched you know kind of our our very first wireless road group, we had developed our own proprietary um communication protocol mm-hmm. um and and so you know something like that for for us on flight attendant we have to benefit from that, you know, but as a, as a, you know, technology, right? Like developing a proprietary communication protocol that can't be hacked, that, you know, that you're not going to worry about, about, you know, y- your friend being able to take control of your bike or whatever. That's a huge, huge thing. Um, so there's just, there's so many little bits like that.
0: Yeah. I guess it puts you guys in a unique position to be able to create something like that. There's not many brands yeah. that have all of those capabilities in house for sure. Yeah. And, and some of the technology that went into flight attendant kind of ended up coming across into some of the new rock product, right? Some of the, yes. the damping technology. Yeah, I mean, I've, I've had the chance to ride the new lyrics and the super deluxe, uh, ultimates and I, I wasn't sure like saw obviously all the marketing around the sort of separating of the, the damping circuits, but it is really quite impressive. Like I don't think I've ridden something that's as compliant yet as supportive, um, up to now. And another thing that I just was fairly skeptical of was these buttercups. Um, but the fork is like super quiet. It's really (laughs) quite eerie the first time you go and ride it. Yeah. What? tell us a little bit about those because it's such an odd thing really like never we never thought of it
1: yeah and and uh you know i I think we've got a ton of super creative individuals that you know spend a lot of time kind of looking at different ways to solve problems right and uh you know we were you know i think the you know really really kind of looking at like you know how are you going to care of just that high frequency vibration and what are the ways that you can solve that and and in kind of you know going down the rabbit hole with that we kind of landed and 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 found kind of a a whole world of um, other industries that have also needed to solve that that problem and you know one of the kind of gold mines for us there was with power tools. Um, Mm -hmm. and, and, and learning that, you know, with chainsaws and things like that, they're trying to solve a very similar problem, right? That you, as somebody's using a chainsaw, they don't want that vibration coming back into the hands. And so, um, so yeah, so you can, you can kind of pull a lot of gold from, from just looking around the world and looking at like, Hey, who else has this problem and how have they, how have they solved it? But in, in essence, you know, the whole flight attendant suite of products was really built on the model year 23 offering. So, mm-hmm. you know, chassis, air spring technologies, all of that is, is essentially the model year 23 offering that yeah. the, the key difference really on the, on the fork side of things is the, is the flight attendant, um, version of the charger damper, which is its own kind of unique damper to, 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 to work specifically around, um, you know, the requirements of, of, of motor control versus your fingers. Um, but, but, uh, but beyond that, everything else about it is the same as our, our, you know, model year 23 lineup. We just released the flight attendant products a bit earlier, um, to give them a bit of their, their moment to shine in the world. Um, before we came out with kind of the more broad offering.
0: Yeah, that makes sense. So do you have a group of people then, within SRAM, within RockShox that are kind of maybe a bit isolated from the demands of putting product into production and are kind of just out there looking at solving problems and playing with kind of interesting ideas and stuff? Like, how does that, how do you set that up?
1: Yeah. So, so, so yes and no. So we have, we have an advanced development group, um, that I I would say, you know, kind, kind of, kind of meets that, like, isolated from really the the requirements of, of you know commercially executing a product at significant scale uh-huh. um, but but we really you know kind of let them mostly target like the kind of more bigger maybe speculative opportunities um, beyond that um, it really just lives kind of within our our, our, our core product development teams and you know, within, within suspension, um, you know, we've got a, we've got a, you know, big group of people that sit that way for me. Um, uh, and, uh, we kind of have it broken out into four different teams based on kind of the use case. And, um, and within that, um, you know, we really try to try to give that, that team, you know, empowerment and ownership about, about what they're, what they're bringing to to market. And so, you know, we, we, we don't, you know, it's not just a big pool of engineers that on any given project, we shuffle the deck and put these people over there, you know, for, for the most part, you know, you know, we got a team that's focused on, on, uh, more on, on, on cross country style of products. Okay. And, and we do that, right. Because we want, we want them to really be able to kind of get into the, the, like really get to know that that user group and understand like what are the things that they're really after and develop the connections, relationships, and all of that so that they can kind of really dig into those customer needs. And then as they're looking at like, well, okay, what does this mean from a long-term product plan? You know, they, they, are, they know when they need to be investing in certain technologies or capabilities um, that are on a longer-term horizon. Um, and so, so yeah, so we don't really have you know we've got an advanced development group that's that is you know separate. They're kind of looking really more like really long term. Okay. The more near term kind of traditional R and D, it's not a sec- separate group. It's really just done within kind of the the, the 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 core group of 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 uh, of people that, that that design our products.
0: Okay, that makes sense. When you when you say long term, what are we talking like five plus years, ten plus years?
1: five
0: plus yeah okay quite a way out interesting yeah. so yeah. When, when you're looking at developing new product where are you pulling in all the voices from because there's like you say, there's a lot of different user groups lots of people use products in different ways and often you produce a product that kind of needs to work for people going out racing EWS or downhill at world cup level but also for your your average rider like me that you know it's just going going out riding the trails like how do you how do you get all that information in and then how do you deal with that and turn it into a spec for a product?
1: Yeah. You know, so, so one of the things that, 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 that we really do is, is we try to spend a lot of time out in the field and that's, it's been a little bit more challenging the past few years, but, but prior to that, you know, we, we, we spend a lot of time, you know, talking to the the, the, the top bike brands around the world, um, going to events, talking with riders, you know whether it's racers, ride sponsored athletes, or just you know riders that are at an event. Um, you know, working with our our sales teams, um, whether it's kind of more of the retail focused, um, like traditional rep style of, of of sales, or our salespeople that might be working with bike brands, right, and, and pulling their their feedback in. And so, really, you know, we kind of try to try to cast the net pretty large, right. To capture as much feedback coming in. And as that happens, you just, you just start to see the, 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 the trends emerging and, 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 you know, some of them, um, you know, something may come up and, and, and maybe I'll, I'll, I'll pull, pull together another example, another contentious example. Um, so, 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 the 27.5 wheel size, right? Yeah. Um, you know, Shacks, we were, we were really one of the first to kind of really go go in pretty heavy on 29 in a in a broad range of of products. Mm-hmm. We we're pretty happy with having some 26-inch offerings for certain types at that point, and then moving towards 29. And then pretty quickly we start having a bunch of bike brands coming to us saying, Hey, we're doing 27-5 bikes next year, if you don't have a fork for us, you're not getting the business. And that's something that you're like, wow, we got to move on this fast, or we're going to lose that big piece of our, of our, of our business. And so sometimes you're confronted with some of those where it's like, wow, we got to make a really quick decision and and decide whether we're going to do this or not. Other times you may see something coming from a while. Right. And, 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 and so we, we kind of have the full spectrum, right. But I think the, the the point is is that it's important to just like you you can't hope to develop products by just sitting behind your computer and reading pink bike comments or whatever right like that may be a source of information but really what you need to do is kind of cast the net at large try to get as many voices into it as you can and then you're going to start to notice the trends and know when to ask some more questions dig a bit deeper um,
0: yeah. Yeah. And that's got to be really large, right? Cause it's a global, a global business and global product and and people do kind of have different styles and habits and terrain all around the globe. So it must be pretty hard to keep in touch with the market on that scale.
1: Yeah. Yeah. And it's, you know, it's another one of the things that I think, you know, we've, we've, we have an advantage being the size that we are that we have a lot of touch points out there, and so you know the feedback is there. And as an example, you know we have a, a, a team within the Rockshox world um, of of suspension specialists—three uh, here in the United States, um, four in Europe—that you know their primary role is to is to be kind of the the, the, the technical point of contact with the various bike brands. Uh So if a bike brand is working on a new suspension design and and they're crafting up whatever kinematic design they may, they may have, that's, that's, you know, our point of contact with them to, to start understanding like, okay, what are your needs for, for shock tuning? And how do you think this is going to perform doing some of that like iterative testing? And so, um, so, so we've developed a good, you know, uh, uh, good touch points across the world with with all of the the, the the brands to help guide the decisions that we make.
0: Yeah. And I guess the brands are connecting as well into that that customer base. So if you're pulling information from customers, so are they, and you're all communicating, you're learning as you go, I suppose. Yeah. Kind of and, symbiotic.
1: And it, you know, on the one hand, right, I kind of paint a picture of, of, of some of the advantages that, that, has by being the, the the size that we are I would also say you know another advantage that we have is we're not an overly bureaucratic organization uh-huh. and so you know to pull together a group of people from a wide range of places around the world is not a difficult thing to do that that you know that's basically Tuesday morning for me I can do that and 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 get you know the right people, parking and so so you know these things you know kind of work their way up
0: yeah and if we focus on i guess like the downtime listeners probably more gravity focused riders have you seen consumer demands in that market change much over time in the time that you've been involved because that's i mean that yeah. side of sports really it was only really starting in the early 2000s i guess yeah. to some extent
1: And, and, you know, that's, that's a big part of it, right? Like, like, you know, if I, if I put up the graph of what the average travel for our products over, you know, the past 20 years is, right? Like listeners be the second time that they sprayed milk out of their nose, (laughs) listening to this, um, because you, you, you just look back and go, wow, you know, I, I can recall when most of our forks were still under one hundred millimeters of travel. It wasn't that long ago. Yeah. and so 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 one, you know, for sure, trends on the gravity side of things have changed. Mm-hmm. But the gravity side being what's really driving the industry, you know, that's, that's maybe a little bit more of a, of a recent change where we're really right. Like I I mentioned kind of when I first started that, that, the industry was really defined by cross country racing. It's not that way anymore. And, and really now if, if anything, it's more defined by the, the longer travel products, um, maybe not as much, you know, the racing aspect of it, but, you know, people going out and wanting, you know, Hey, I'm going to, I'm going I'm to have one bike and I want one bike that's going to do everything. You know, you're not going to hesitate for that to be a 150 millimeter travel bike that, that that's okay. Right. You can ride that every day where not so long ago that would have been considered, you know, second, third bike for somebody.
0: Yeah. Yeah. Is that graph of, uh, of travel versus time starting to stabilize?
1: Yeah. Um, I, 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 I think it is. It's, it's, it's separate, it's starting to separate a little bit, you know, on the, as we introduce e-bikes into things and, you know, really what I would, I would kind of say is, um, you know, over time and, and, and we'll talk about the pedal bike world, you know, it, 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 it kind of started to align that if, if, if you were a bike brand that had a, served a, a full range of riders from, from, from short travel, XC to, to downhill, you probably had a different platform at every like 20 to 30 millimeters of travel. And, and for us, that also kind of meant that, you know, we needed to have optimized offerings at every 20 to 30 millimeters of travel. Yeah. And so then you end up, you know, with a Sid, with a Pike, with a lyric, with a Zeb, right? Like kind of spread out that way. But I think as, and and so what I what I sort of witnessed as as e-bikes started to come in, you start to replicate the same thing. But then I think the industry sort of quickly realized, like, now you know what? Actually, if we're throwing a motor on on a bike, you maybe don't need every twenty to thirty millimeters of of of, of travel along the way, right? And so that's helped kind of, I think clean things up or just, uh-huh. just, you know, streamline offerings. Um, and I think the same thing is, is really starting to occur on the pedal bike side of things as well, where it's not, you know, yeah, you're not finding quite as, as much stratification on the, 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 the bike offerings.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. You you mentioned the racing side of things. I'm interested to talk a little bit about that relationship between racing and production because RockShox are well known for the, the black box program, which we see on a lot of the top athletes bikes and uh, everyone wants inside their own forks and shocks and bits and pieces. And I think hopefully we're going to have a future episode digging a little bit deeper into black box, but I'm keen to understand from your perspective, like how do you see black box fitting into your overall sort of product development and testing process? I suppose.
1: Yeah, so, um, so for 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 one, um, we we recognize in a lot of our products, we want like I, I talked about the importance of having you know kind of a product development process. We listen to a lot of different voices, right? And and that's a good thing, right? We want to get feedback from 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 a broad range, and for sure, in certain products the athlete, the team and the athlete feedback is a pretty critical, um, voice within that, within that process. Uh-huh. And so, um, so that's, that's important for us, you know, to, to, to both have the connection. Right. Um, and, and then, you know, in a lot of instances, right, we are going to try to fulfill whatever it is that, uh, that, that they're asking for, at times, that might be something that it's like, look, you know what what you as a rider are asking for. We understand it. We want to help you, but it's probably not what the rest of the world needs. Yeah. Um, but other times, you know, they are on the on the front edge, right? And and so there, you know, there are there are examples over our history of times when you know their 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 feedback has directly led us to. You know, commercial implementation of technologies, right? Coming from that, uh-huh. there's other times that you know we've done things just specifically for them because we recognized a particular need or use case or opportunity. And so there's there's kind of no you know one way that it, it it works. I think that the important part of it is to to really try to ensure that 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 we that their teams and athletes have a voice into our product development process.
0: Yeah. Yeah. That makes sense. And, um, yeah, like with, with the, the black box stuff and the athletes, do you see that as durability testing as well as functionality testing? Cause athletes tend to be pretty good at breaking stuff. I mean, they certainly well, put through, put it through its paces, it, so to speak.
1: It, it's, it's, do you my checking. Am I, am I, am I, am I revealing anything with this? Um, you know, there, there's a reality that, um, we're not going to put something on a top rider that we don't have confidence in its durability.
0: Uh-huh.
1: And, and, and so, so from the standpoint of like, Hey, are, 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 are we using those riders to test long-term durability? Not really because that's it's too risky for them right like we need to make sure that we've proved that out on our own yeah. before it gets to them with some of the performance windows it might be a bit different right and and if we're talk if we're trying to understand like hey you know what what what, what range of damping do we need on this product or if we're trying to look at how are we controlling you know high speed damping or something like that right and and is this sufficient? Like that might be an area where their feedback is going to come in in a, in a, in a, in a louder way. Um, but, um, from a, from a pure durability standpoint, I'd say we've, 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 we've taken care of that, uh, in other ways. I'd also share, you know, obviously data acquisition is a, is a big part of what, what we do and, and, and a lot of people do. Uh, you know, there are, of course, exceptions, but, you know, you, you don't get to be a top tier gravity athlete without being smooth. Uh-huh. And so when we've done data acquisition in certain certain situations, in most cases, they're not putting higher loads into things because they, they they have skill, right. (laughs) They're not running into something in the way that somebody else like myself may not have the skill. Right. Um, and, and so some of those things, again, that like, you know, they, they, how we use them, um, it's, it's not always going to be around, um, some of those things like, you know, ultimate strength again, right. We better prove that out ourselves before we Uh put a, sponsored athlete on it or durability right we better have confidence it's going to make it down the mountain before we we put it on an athlete so
0: yeah that makes complete sense so i mean you mentioned some of the enablers over time that have helped product get better and better if you look at the, the the position we're at today with suspension what do you think are some of the biggest challenges that we face i guess to kind of take things to the next level what what would help what things need to be moved out of the way or solved. Do you think?
1: Uh that's a, that's a really good question. Um, I've never thought about it in, in terms of, of, of being solved. Um, I, I mean, I think there's, there's, there's just, I, I'm, I, I, I will forever and always believe that there is so much more for us to learn. And I think there are just so many things that, you know, living in a, living in a world, right, where there, there are trends that come in and influence designs and all that. And whether it's stuff like, you know, wheel size trends or tire trends or geometry trends or any of that, right? Like, it, it's going to be kind of a constant sh- shifting environment. And so just learning how to, how to, how to work through those and, 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 and optimize like what, what we offer as uh, to, 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 create the, 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 the best solution for the riders uh-huh. That's a bunch of words and a bunch of, 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 of mumbo jumbo. So I'm going to flip it around a little bit, you know, at the end of the day, a, a, a rider doesn't ride a fork. They don't ride a shock. They ride a bike. Yeah. And and you know, while I think we're the most important part of that bike, I recognize a lot of other things have an impact on it as well. And so you know, for us, right, the more we can understand the trade-offs of all of those variables, right, the more we can ensure what what are part of that system, right. Can help ensure that we're delivering a better experience for the riders.
0: Uh Yeah. So where, where do you personally kind of see the future of suspension going? What areas do you think we'll see either, you know, iterative improvements in or some big changes? Um, well, I mean, I think, um, you know, again,
1: it's another area where I, I gotta be a little careful about how I answer this one, I don't think I would be surprising anybody out there if I said that I think electronics will continue to be an important part of the future. Yeah. Um, that's not to say that next year we're only going to offer flight attendant products. Um, but, you know, as, as I think about our product line, I don't imagine we'll ever have any fewer electronic products in our line than we have today. Yeah. That, you know, technology trends, capabilities, right, all that kind of stuff are just going to continue to get better and better and better and lower cost and, and, and all of that. Right. And, 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 and so, you know, we're not looking to force it down people's throats, but we are going to take advantage of how it can help riders have a better experience Yeah, and things like, you know, like reverb access um, where like, you know, what that allows the rider from a convenience standpoint and the speed and responsiveness, like it's, it's, it's pretty incredible. And, and, you know, we're going to continue to leverage opportunities like that. Um, I think, um, you know, thinking about, um, durability, serviceability, things like that is going to continue to be important. Um, You know, one of the things that, that I look at, um, uh, so past two years, the industry has brought more people into riding bikes than, than, than ever. Right. And industry sold a lot of bikes. You know, for some people that was a existing bike rider that decided to buy a new bike Mm -hmm. other places. It was somebody that hadn't ridden recently, or maybe they were new to the sport in, in, in general, and so we've brought in a lot of those those, those people, and um, I want to make sure that 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 as we kind of look to the future, that you know, we we keep as many of them as possible. And so ensuring when it's time that for them to have service, right, the parts are available to them, and that hopefully that's a really good experience for them. Um, and I think that aspect of it is just it's going to continue forward, right? That mm-hmm. that you know, I, I I can think in our history with something as simple as our service intervals where we were really looking at like, you know, 20 hour service intervals. And, and, you know, we've been, we've been pushing that and pushing that and trying to extend that. And I think we're going to, we're going to keep doing that. Um, You know, for us focusing on serviceability has always been a, a, a a big thing. And and that's tough at times when you're trying to design these really complex multi-adjustable dampers and things like that awesome factor in serviceability but it's important and 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 we're gonna we're gonna keep pushing there
0: yeah yeah good stuff having to service suspension less often is definitely not a bad thing um we're gonna start wrapping up we're getting close to the end of our time i wanted to to pick your brains and i just i'm interested in any advice you might have for people that listen to this and thinking you know they'd love to find a way into the bike industry they'd love to have a career in the bike industry that like you say, it doesn't have to involve racing. Like, are there, is there any advice you'd give give people that are thinking along those lines?
1: Um, yes. Um, so m- maybe, maybe the first thing I would share is there are opportunities, right? And I kind of shared that I didn't even recognize what was what was available and what was out there, and and so you know that first advice is that there are opportunities. And, and so well, go after them. Um, y- you know, I would also say that, um, you know, like SRAM has a ton of design engineering capability and, um, and, and we're going to always have a ton of design engineering capability. So, um, engineering school is very helpful. Um, study your math, <laughs> do all of that. um, and and so um you know i think all of that all of that's really really important
0: yeah good stuff we've we've got four final questions that we've asked most people over the years so um, we'll hit those up for you the first one of those if our listeners had 150 pounds which is about 170 us dollars at the moment to improve their performance on a bike what would you personally recommend they go and spend it on it's not a lot of money
1: yeah um Well, the the very first thing I would make sure that they had was a good quality shock pump. Uh Um, uh, Because I I think that, you know, that suspension aspect of it um, is, is, you know, really critical to how well you're going to ride, the experience you have, the joy, the comfort, all of that, all of that stuff. And so good, good quality shock pump.
0: How would you identify a good quality shock pump? What, uh, what are the characteristics of a good one?
1: The, the one that says "Rackshacks" on it.
0: <laughs> um, yeah, uh, yeah. I mean,
1: we make a great. Since, since they have, uh, you said 170 pounds. I'm going to suggest that they buy our digital pump, uh, okay. which is very nice and convenient and easy to read and uh, highly repeatable. And I think my battery on it lasted like three or four years. And so I'd just say, buy that one. It's going to be perfect. I'm
0: pretty sure mine's at least five years old and still going. So all good. All right. The next one, if you could wind back the clock and sit down with yourself, age 16, what advice would you give him?
1: Oh, uh, yeah, for me, for sure. it, It would have been around like understanding that, uh, well, for one, right. That Follow your passion, which I luckily did. Um, but recognizing that, like, the bike industry wasn't all just about racing. Racing's awesome. Uh, I love it. But, uh, you know, racing is such a small part of what's available in the industry. And it is awesome to feel like I've never had to work a day in my life. And so um, that would be my advice.
0: Solid advice. I like that. Third one, if you could have a coaching session from anyone past or present, who would it be and what would you want to learn? And often this is like a riding skills-based thing, but if you wanted it to be elsewhere in life, then it could be.
1: Um, you know, that's a good one. Um, the, the one thing I would, I would, say, um, and we talked a little bit about, about HB earlier. Um, and I think he's done, he did an incredible job of being able to take his career as an athlete and then continue to have a, a, a a significant influence for RockShox, for SRAM, for the industry, for, for a long period of time. And, um, and I, and I think I think there's gold in that. I, I had the ability to kind of witness how he did it, how he, how he focused. And, you know, there was, there was, there was an HB that, that, that the world may have, have seen, but there was a level of professionalism behind that, that was always it, so impressive of, 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 of how dedicated he was to, to to really doing right by by the his sponsors and the and the people that supported him. Uh-huh. So I had to learn that. What I would probably say is, um, you know, I'd love to package that and market that for every athlete today, um, because you know, like not not to say that every athlete needs to end up also then going into the industry after they're done with their racing careers, um, but for those that want to do that. There's a lot that they could learn from him.
0: Uh huh. Interesting. Yeah, he's an in, an interesting character. We should get him on the podcast at some point for uh, for some stories for sure. Last one then. What do you do every day that you feel benefits you? Is there any habits or rituals that you you try and do every day?
1: Uh, I mean i i I try to move every day. Um, you know, w- w- it used to be work out in some fashion, swim, run, ride, whatever. Um, I had back surgery last year and with COVID craziness, I've had to pull back a little bit from that, but I still, uh, I go out, I take a walk, even if it's 30 minutes, um, you know, finding the opportunity to just like relax in the world. There's a lot of stuff going on and, uh, you know, find your escape.
0: Nice one. I like it, man. Well, if people uh, want to find out a little bit more about RockShox and SRAM, where is the best place for them to look these days? Uh,
1: of, of course, I'd say, well, two places, um, our websites. Um, but the other area I'd say is, is, is we really have had a concerted effort on and adding more, um, content to YouTube. Okay. You can get to those through our, um, website, but, um, really big effort beyond the traditional, um, you know, take it apart and put it back together video really, you know, we've, we've kicked off, um, our inner working series that, that, that goes into a lot more detail behind the, the, the products. Um, really it's a, it's a, you know, I learn a ton about it, um, about the areas that I'm not involved in. And so, um, I would, I would steer everybody there.
0: Perfect. All right. I will put some links in the show notes. So people can find uh, both the website and the YouTube stuff. But yeah, thanks, man. It's been really interesting finding out a bit more about you and chatting about suspension over the years. And uh, we look forward to seeing more great stuff coming out of uh, of Rock Shots and Stram in the coming years, I'm sure. Great. Thank you. Really appreciate the time. Nice one. Cheers, Sander. Bye-bye. All right. That's it for this episode with Sander. I really hope you've enjoyed it. A massive thanks to SRAM for supporting this episode. You can check out all they have to offer over at SRAM.com and there's heaps of great content on their YouTube page too. You'll find links in the show notes to those. Also, a massive thanks to Sprung Suspension. If you're looking to improve the way your bike rides and to give your suspension some love after a long summer of riding, then look no further than Sprung Suspension. With knowledge from working at suspension companies, bike companies, and World Cup race teams, Sprung will be able to sort you out and have your suspension feeling better than it's ever felt before. As a downtime listener, you can get 10% off service and tuning until the 15th of November. All you need to do is to use the code DOWNTIME22 over at sprungsuspension.com. That's downtime, all lowercase, followed by the number 22. Here's a few other links that might be useful to you too. Downtimepodcast.com forward slash subscribe so you never miss an episode, forward slash shop to support the show by getting yourself some merch, and forward slash EP if you want to get your hands on copies of our lovely print project, Downtime EP. As always, spread the word, tell your rider mates about the podcast, and make sure as many people as possible are listening. That's it for today. We're going to have another awesome episode coming up really soon. But until next time, get out and ride.